Let's take our Bibles to Psalm 106, and we're going to finish our study on human sin and divine compassion. Psalm 106, human sin and divine compassion. So far, we have worked our way through the psalm. We began in verses 1 through 5 with the psalmist's contemplation. And his contemplation was twofold. Praise in verses 1 to 3 and prayer in verses 4 to 5. He says in verse 1, Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord, or who can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor towards your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. And after stating his uh, contemplation, his praise and his prayer, he now begins a series of confessions in verses 6 through 45 confession. And he begins with God's patience in verses 6 through 12. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. And he led them through the deep, as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them. And he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. And so we're introduced to God's patience with Israel's sin. There in the wilderness, particularly at the Red Sea. Next, we see Israel's punishment. In verses 13 to 23, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. When they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses' his chosen one stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Verse 24 to 27 presents us with Israel's perversity. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness, and that he would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the land. Verse 28 to 33, provocation. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and interposed, and so the plague was stayed. And it was reckoned to him for righteousness, to all generations forever. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. Verse 34 to 39 brings us to the pollution. 
as we've worked our way down through up to, rather, verse 34, we're noticing a cycle, and it's not improving. It's not getting any better. The sin gets worse and worse, and yet we continue to see God's compassion. Verse 34 to 39, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds." Now, this is the corruption that sets in during the book of Judges as they began to settle into the land formerly known as Canaan. Israel, instead of wiping out the pagan uh, people, they tolerated their pagan neighbors and uh, they went and began slowly to compromise with them. God had commanded them in uh, to destroy the people, uh, but nonetheless, they rebelled against God. The syncretism is so bad that not only do they tolerate the pagans, but they soon begin to worship like the pagans. They begin to worship idols. They begin to uh, sacrifice their children to these demons uh, that were behind these false gods, these idols. And uh, they shed innocent blood, the blood of their children. And, uh, and because of that, the land was polluted. When the blood of innocent children is shed, the land is polluted. And, you know, it's much today what we see in this country with abortion. Ch- innocent children are being murdered to the God of convenience, to the God of, I want my life to be my life and not to be hindered. And so as we see this uh, abortion just continue to run rampant, don't be surprised that our cities are, are, are filled with murderous rampage. Don't be surprised by the droughts and the famines that our land is facing. It's a direct result of shedding innocent blood, particularly the blood of our children. Go through the Torah, go through the Old Testament prophets, you'll see the connection. When, when children are put to death, Innocent blood is shed in the service of a god, false god, an idol. Discipline from God follows upon that nation. And that involves, again, cities, uh, the streets of the cities filled with blood because there's just out-and-out wickedness and murder, famine, drought, etc. Everything we're seeing in our country uh, is a direct result of this. And we see the history played out right here. In verse 39, the psalmist says they were defiled by their own works. Listen, folks, sin corrupts, and it completely corrupts. You can't say, well, it's just a little sin. There is no such thing as a little sin. Every sin is a big sin, and it completely and thoroughly corrupts a person. Let's move on to verse 40 to 43, because we see God's response to the corruption here in verse 40 to 43, and we've titled this Persistence. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. He abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nation, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. They were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. You know, we can sum up verse 40 to 43 in another word besides persistence, and that's anger. 
God's anger, God's wrath was kindled. It burned against Israel. Uh, the word anger here literally means snorting. Uh, you know, you get this idea of an angry bull and it's snorting. Uh, well, that's God. That's the picture of God's anger. He is snorting. He's breathing heavily. Uh, he's seething against Israel. Uh, he abhorred them. That is, he, he regarded them as an abomination. His own inheritance, uh, his own children, if you will, his own bride, as he sometimes calls Israel. Uh, they rejected him, so he rejected them. He gave them into the hand of the Gentiles. In fact, even today, Israel is still living in the times of the Gentiles. Uh, again, going all the way back to this sin, okay? Starting with the Babylonian captivity, Israel has been under Gentile domination and control and oppression since, and it will continue until Israel comes and repents, which will take the tribulation to accomplish. Uh, so the 721 BC Assyria destroys Samaria and takes uh, the kingdom of Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel. 606 BC Babylonia destroys Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, and uh, all of Israel goes into captivity. And they're oppressed, they're enslaved, they're subdued under their authority. But verse 43, we see a conclusion. God was there time and again. Many times down through the centuries, God has delivered his people. There have been times when they have faced mass extinction and God has stepped in and intervened and preserved his people. And so God is persistent to show compassion despite human sin. Finally, we see pity in verses 44 to 46. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. He remembered his covenant for their sake. He relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Now, you know, fortunately for them and for us, judgment is not the last word. Uh, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress. He heard their cry and God had pity on them. He remembered his covenant. It's not that he remembered them. He hadn't forgotten them, but why he has pity on them is because he remembers the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he relents according to the greatness, the mag magnificent uh, covenant love, uh, the magnanimous loving kindness. And he intervenes by changing the hearts of their Gentile oppressors so that the Gentiles pitied them. We think of uh, the story there uh, with Esther and how God changed the heart of King Xerxes, uh, how he moved on the heart of Artaxerxes uh, in Nehemiah. God works on the hearts uh, to move the oppressor to become one who ultimately ends up preserving God's people. And so in here in verses 44 to 46, God sees Israel's pain, their discomfort, their punishment, their judgment because of their sin, and he remembers his promise. And his promises are unfailing. His mercy outweighs and overshadows his judgment. And so he begins to intervene. His mercy endures forever. Not only was that true for Israel, but praise God, it's true for us. You know, so often 
we fall into sin and we spiral just like Israel. You know, we, we, we confess it, we get, we get back on top of things, but then before you know it, we're back into the sin. Same sin, maybe a difference in whatever, but we continue spiraling further and further and further down. God never will cast us off. He has compassion. His compassion is long-suffering. And so he continues to have mercy upon us. And so each and every time we repent, God once again restores us and, uh, and rescues us and places us back uh, where we belong. Verse 47 to 48 is a cry. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And so he began with a contemplation and praised God for who he was, prayed to God. Then there was a confession. He's confessing his sin in this lengthy contemplation uh, from verse 6 through verse 45. And now we have a cry to God, rescue us, save us, deliver us. This is his prayer. This is the prayer of the, the people. Uh, we want to return to Canaan. We want to be gathered from among the Gentiles. Uh, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to give thanks to your holy name. We want to boast in your praise. And uh, But God, we need to be back in proper relationship with you to do that. And so when God's people cry out to him, he does hear, he does deliver, and he does come to their aid. And so we see a, a, a final statement of worship there. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And the only response to such a great statement is to say, praise the Lord, amen, truly, truly. You know, as we recap Psalm 106, we see God's compassion, we see divine compassion despite human sin. God does not condone sin. God does not excuse sin. God indeed judges sin. But mercy always triumphs over his wrath and his judgment. He will always be faithful to his covenant. And no matter what sin we commit, when we genuinely repent, God steps in, intervenes, redeems us, saves us, delivers us from all our troubles and all our distress. If God did it then for Israel, God will certainly do it for today for his church. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we come to you through the matchless name of Jesus. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your mercy being new every day. We thank you for your long-sufferingness, Father. We thank you that, Lord, you never gave up on your people. You were faithful to your promise, even though they were unfaithful to you. And, Father, we confess that there are many times that, like Israel, we are unfaithful to you. We don't keep your word. And we ask, Father, that you might forgive us, that you would uh, uh, help us to be victorious over that sin or any other sin that's afflicting us. Uh, Lord, we, we desire to be in your place. We desire to be in, a, in your presence. We know that sin keeps us far from that, Father. And so we uh, confess our sin. And again, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be victorious over it. We thank you for your mercy, your mercy that is new every day, a mercy that uh, is unfailing, and uh, a mercy that, uh, uh, Lord, is always there for us whenever and wherever we need it. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and say, Amen.